today on Fuzzy Logic, we are talking the amazing, awesome prizes of science, the ones that mean a lot to all the scientists out there, not the Nobel Prizes, but the IG Nobel Prizes, celebrating research that makes you laugh and then makes you go, hmm. That's coming up today right here on Fuzzy Logic. Good morning, Canberra, and welcome to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday. Pleasure to have you with us today on this beautiful weather long weekend. I hope you're enjoying outside. We're in the studio at the moment, but I know I'm going to get outside later today to enjoy this magnificent sun as we are heading into spring. My name is Broderick, and I'm excited to be here once again for Fuzzy Logic. And joining me in the studio today is the wonderful Maddie. Good morning, Maddie. Hey, Broderick. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, excited to have you with us today. Um, we're going to be sharing one of your projects today, which uh, I'm super excited about. Has that been keeping you plenty busy? Oh, very busy. I've been talking to a lot of people lately. Awesome, awesome. And uh, we're going to get to that a little bit later on. But as I said in the intro, today we are talking about the Ig Nobel Prizes um, and they are the prizes of science that are kind of take their name from the Nobel Prizes of course um, but uh, in this case they are the Ig Nobels and they are designed to recognize research that first makes you laugh and then makes you go hmm which is a really important thing, I think, because a lot of uh, scientific research out there is pretty serious stuff, investigating weighty topics. And then some people decide they want to investigate something that might seem not so useful, might seem a little bit silly, but in reality, there's a lot of good things happening. Now, uh, one of the most famous Australian winners of the Ig Nobel Prize is Dr. Carl. Uh, and he actually did research for a year collecting and classifying his his belly button lint. <laughs> Uh, he, he collected it in jars, uh, and over the uh, the year, he found um, that belly button lint was most commonly blue. Um, and uh, was that, that affected by the color of his shirt? Or? A, a little bit by the color of his shirt, and uh, uh, and it also by his genes, he reckoned too, um, which is interesting. Is. So yeah, so I'm not quite sure the pathways of, yeah. of what's going down during the lint yeah. in there, um, but uh, yeah, there Worth you go. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so we're going to look at the 2017 Ig Nobel winners because they were announced just the other week. And uh, the first prize that I wanted to talk about, Maddie, was the prize for physics, mm. uh, which this year went to uh, some researchers from France, Singapore and USA for using fluid dynamics to probe the question, can a cat be both a solid and a liquid? Very strange question, I must say. It, it's, it's one of those questions, it's actually quite funny, because I don't know if you've seen the memes about this, you know, the cat that seems to sit in the bowl yeah. and take up all the space yeah. of the bowl. Yeah, um, that makes me think of when I was younger, I had a cat and I would put it in my dollhouse and see how many times it could escape from smaller windows. <laughs> it was a very cruel child thing to do, but I did explore that as a child, I think, actually, is can my cat escape very small spaces? Right. That's almost yeah. that's almost octopus-like, <laughs> Yeah, I think. a little bit. It makes me think of the octopus in the jar. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, this is the, the, the thing. Cats seem to uh, just 
or A, sit wherever they can, um, mm. but B, when they do sit, they seem to just fit wherever you put them. Mm. And, and this is, I guess, how we define fluids. We I was about to say, I was thinking of fluids as more the definition maybe that I would think of when a cat can fill up the space that it is in. Yeah, and, and, and th I suppose this is the difference between solid, liquid and fluids. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, a solid, you know, has, has a shape and retains its, its shape and, and you can't uh, compress it at all. Uh, that's kind of how we define solids. And then fluids, uh, which include liquids and gases as well, mm. uh, take the the shape of their container and you can generally pour them Ooh, <laughs> too. Yeah. So, so can you pour a cat? Can you, well, th that's an interesting question, isn't mm. it? Um, <laughs> But it, it does it does depend on the properties of the fluid itself. Yes, but um, they are talking about liquids. That's what I'm intrigued by. Is shouldn't the question be, can a cat be both a solid and a fluid? Yeah, I, I guess in, in they're just looking at liquid because calling it a gas might be taking things too far. I guess so, yes. Yeah, d I mean, it doesn't, yeah. cats don't tend to float about. That's true. Um, cats are not gases. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And I, I love this because the the paper that this comes from, uh, entitled On the Rheology of Cats, um, <laughs> is actually a genuinely serious paper. It and sounds serious. It's, it's really hard to read. You, you can't. I yeah. cannot interpret it. I'm no uh, fluid scientist, I'm no liquid scientist, but rheology is the study of fluids. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so what uh, they're looking at here is... <laughs> the pictures of the cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like we'll have to post some of these yeah. on our Facebook page soon. Yeah. Um, so, I was doing some research on rheology while you just amuse yourself with... Well, it's, it's funny you're just amusing yourself with cat pictures because this is genuinely how the author of this research paper oh, got inspired uh, to, to do it. Yeah, by cat pictures. He was, he was looking at in, an internet thread featuring observed photos of cat-filled containers and thought, well, hold on, what, what does this mean for cats? Uh, are they a fluid? Are they a liquid? Are they a solid? Um, and so he started to investigate. And what he was trying to do was calculate a cat's Debra number. Now, have you heard of the Debra number before? I have not heard of the Debra number. Neither had I. Um, <laughs> but it's a number used in rheology, so the study of fluids, and it basically characterises the fluid. It tells you what it's like under flow conditions. Um, and, and the premise is that given uh, enough time, even a solid-like material will actually start to flow. So I don't know if you've seen, Questacon used to have an amazing exhibit, which was, uh, and, and there's other versions of this uh, around the place, but it was, it was a, it was a tar-like substance, or the, a pitch is, is the other name for it, and it's a really thick fluid. And if you look at it, it looks like a solid. So some of the experiments they have around the world are, are black um, tar pitch, uh, and the one at Questacon was like a brown goop. Okay. And it looked it looked like it just sat there, but it was actually in the shape of an hourglass, and it was slowly dripping oh. down. And so this goop dripped the distance. I think it was probably about you know ten fifteen centimeters from the the opening to the bottom. It took uh, about twelve years to go that distance. Wow. Yeah, yeah but it was slowly moving, yeah. so it was slowly flowing. Um, 
And so this is what the, the Deborah number is trying to do, okay. um, is, is classify how different materials flow, because some materials would flow at a rate uh, much faster than, you know, a centimetre a year, mm. um, and, and others would flow uh, slower. Uh, so it's kind of the ratio of uh, the time it takes for a material to adjust uh, to stresses or deformations, you know, some force acting on it. Um, and so that's where we get the Deborah number from. Um, interesting. Interestingly, the name Deborah Number actually comes from the Bible. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a verse in Judges uh, that says uh, the mountains flowed before the Lord. Uh, so to, yeah, which right. I love I love the imagery of, Very and that was that was a song yeah. by the prophet Deborah. Um, yeah. So hence Deborah Number. Um, so that's what the the scientist here was trying to do was classify cats and give them a Deborah Number. Um, now I could give you that yeah. number, um, but it, it I, well I don't have it, but also, I don't think it would actually make it. I have no idea what different no. Deborah number means. No, we won't um, be able to interpret it properly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's there's a, an interesting thing, and and so you can see. You know, the scientist actually said, if you take a time lapse of a glacier on several years, you will unmistakably see it flow down the mountain. For cats, the same principle holds. If you're observing a cat on a time larger than its relaxation time, the time it takes to, to, to uh, relax into its container, it will be soft and adapt to its container like a liquid would. <laughs> and then you look at the pictures and you're like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> the cat right. is in a wine glass or in the sink or in a bowl. Yeah, so there you go. So, you know, this is the thing. So, silly little uh, science, but it's interesting to, to, to study those cats and, and to yeah. work out how it can change and how that might apply to Absolutely. other solid liquids out there too. And I think the amount of joy that this would have given the scientists, the researcher, as well as the people that found out about the research, I think it's really important for science to be able to achieve those things. <laughs> totally, totally. And, and yeah, that... that uh, it's much more interesting to study uh, cats and the way they flow than, you know, a glacier, which yeah. is pretty slow and boring. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Flowing cats. Never would have thought it. No. All right. We've got it. There's heaps of prizes out here, and we want to get yeah. through as many as we can today. So maybe we'll uh, take a jump. Do you have one for us there, Maddie? Well, one that caught my eye was about the neural bases of disgust for cheese. Ah. Yeah, and that caught my eye because I had a friend recently that was really sick, and she thinks that she was probably the most sick she's ever been in her life. And then when she got better, something that she loved, coffee, tasted totally different. She couldn't oh. drink the coffee anymore. Like, she was so sad about it because she just loves coffee. Yeah. And it was other bitter foods as well that she also couldn't really eat. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, I wonder why that is. And I kept asking her if she could drink coffee again. And eventually she actually was able to drink her coffee again, normally. But yeah. her sickness totally changed her taste buds and... And I guess this, this paper, I, I was really struck with the first sentence. It said, The study of food aversion in humans by the induction of illness is ethically unthinkable. It's a kind of a big sentence, but basically you can't really study that thing that my friend went through because you can't just like make people sick so that you can see what happens when they get better again <laughs> when no, it comes no. to their food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, so to do this research instead, they uh, found cheese could be a good model to look into this because cheese is considered edible by most people, but it can also be quite disgusting to some people. So they use this to study how the brain processes disgust and aversion towards foods. <sighs> so I found that quite interesting and um, yeah, kind of answered a question that I'd had a couple of weeks ago. 
but it didn't really fully answer it because you can't study the answer. <laughs> no, that's true. But yeah, so that's that's just crazy that um, yeah to use yeah. that to study Jesus indeed. And Definitely. And they found a particular region of the brain that they think might be involved, and um, and ultimately that didn't answer my question that I had for my friend. But that's fine because you can't answer all of the questions. But it's really cool to like explore and look at. Why might that be happening? And yeah, well, because yeah. d- disgust is a, a, a kind of defined as one of those base level emotions. Mm. Like if you if you remember the um, the scientific film Inside Out uh, by Disney Pixar. I still uh, need to watch that. Oh, you haven't like, seen it. Oh. I know that I'm going to love it, and I just oh, life. Yep. That's That's gonna happen. Uh, well, especially, um, and we'll be talking a bit more about your your podcast totally. in a moment around it's mental so health. To uh, totally relevant, indeed. But in, inside the the humans' heads, uh, they have the the base emotions uh, that we have, and I'm, I'm going to try and list them off. We'll see how we go. We've got joy, we've got sadness, we've got anger, uh, we've got oh. Something else and disgust. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. I, th- I I I know that was uh, the one that was voiced by Mindy Kaling. I'm pretty sure. Uh, anyway, yep. but we do we do have those five base emotions and disgust is mm. in there because it's it's a super important mm. um, part of part of us being human. You Definitely, know. like it's helpful for us because when we are disgusted by something that's bad for us, like a poison maybe, that might be disgusting to us, or just a food we don't like. Yeah, yeah, and, and generally, you know, those sorts of poisons are trying to send us a signal exactly. hey, don't eat us. Yeah, um, be disgusted by this, don't have this again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I wonder if it's something to do with like the sickness, like maybe those particular foods aren't helpful for the body in that time, so it's some kind of reaction to the illness stops you from wanting to have those foods, I don't know. Yeah, potentially, potentially yeah, indeed. Can't study it, apparently. Yeah, no, but you can get close by studying cheese. Yeah. And uh, that yeah. won this French team the Ig Nobel in medicine. Yeah, Indeed. so they did well. <laughs> awesome. All right, we've got plenty more prizes coming up today here on Fuzzy Logic, but I reckon it's time for a quick little music break. Uh, it's uh, it's a Sunday. It's time for some swing. Uh, this is Robbie Williams. Oh, uh, my favourite. <laughs> uh, this is his uh, cover of that Jungle Book classic, I Want to Be Like You. be like you, you know. <laughs> you don't, but serious. Robbie Williams there with I Want to Be Like You. Great swing and Sunday sort of tune to get us going here on Fuzzy Logic. And uh, today we are talking uh, the scientific prizes, the Ig Nobel Prizes, uh, stemming from the Nobel Prizes about research that makes you laugh and makes you think. Uh, but... Before we go back to more prizes, uh, let's have a little chat to Maddie, who's joining us in the studio today, uh, because, Maddie, you've been working on your own podcast lately. Um, do you want to share a little bit about uh, what it's all about? I have, yes. I've actually been working on two podcasts, which has been really fun, and they're both about talking about mental health, and particularly getting different perspectives on it and hearing people's stories so we can learn a bit more about ourselves and about other people. And I've put together a little trailer for one of them, so maybe we could put that on and that might explain it pretty well for us. All right, let's have a listen. I've been so afraid of talking about so many things in my life. When I started talking about more things, my mental health got so much better. That's why I've started Let's Talk About It, a podcast series designed to be heard in places in the world. So far, I've turned hours of conversations with people into eight stories about ten minutes long. They're with students, counsellors, psychologists, university staff, researchers and mental health advocates. These podcasts aren't about providing advice. They're about hearing different perspectives and maybe learning some new things about ourselves and other people. 
You'll hear stories about the anxiety of going to a job interview. You know what? You're probably not going to do very well at this. You should just leave now. Don't embarrass yourself. What are you going to do if it goes terribly? Can you just get up and leave? Or About getting one's life back after a traumatic sexual assault. I'd accepted the new life, but I still hadn't accepted what had happened. Actually, I had quite poor health at the time, so that was coming out in a physical way. That's how I knew that I had to talk about it more. About doing research into the mental health care system in Australia. So... We don't actually fix the problem, but what we do is we review it and we inquire into it and we report on it and we say that it's shit over, over and over again. And about talking about these things. When you kind of have like a deep talk about feelings and during it it can get quite intense and everyone's kind of like, oh god, feelings, I don't know what's going on. But then at the end, everyone's just like, oh, it feels so good. Some of the content might be sensitive. But many of the stories are about overcoming life adversity and learning strategies to manage our own mental health. Everyone has a mental health, and talking about it is just one of many ways to improve it. These podcasts can be listened to from anywhere in the world, but if you are an Australian National University, there's a path for you to follow while you listen. If you've got an iPhone, you can download the Podwalk app and you'll find the stories there. You can listen to the podcasts on SoundCloud while following a map I put together. Check out the website for links and instructions at www.letstalkaboutit.co. I hope you enjoy listening. It's been really fun making it. So a pretty important topic there that we're talking about, Maddie. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your, your experience in making the Let's Talk About It? How, how has it, uh, it been, you know helping you with your mental health and, and yeah. talking about things. So much actually. So the first project I started was actually called Finding Our Marbles. So I've got two projects. One yeah. is that one and one is the Let's Talk About It. So Finding Our Marbles was more about me trying to work out more stuff about my own mental health and part of that is just talking to lots of different people about their experiences and about my own experiences and kind of learning more from them. And I like Let's Talk About It because it allows me to also focus more on sharing those stories because sometimes I get really sick of hearing my own voice. So it's really nice to have both of those sides of it. And I have learned so much in the last couple of months. And it's actually like I remember about a month into starting the project, I was like, my mental health is so good right now because so many of these things that I'm talking about have been like whirring around in my brain confusing me and freaking me out because I wasn't letting them out anywhere and when other people then share their stories with me and they've had similar experiences or maybe they've had totally different experiences it just really helps me and I just find it really fun as well as interesting and yeah, mm. it's an it's an interesting idea about how brain works. Um, I often run a uh, a creative brainstorm type session with uh, teachers in my job, and one of the things we say to people is uh, when they have an idea, get it out of their head and 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 make it because that's that's mm. one of the things we're trying to do is just make things, make lots of things. They don't have to be good. Yeah. You just have to make them, and. One of the reasons we do say that is because it gets that idea out of your head yeah. so you can have another one. Definitely. And, and when you get across those initial um, ideas out of your head, you know, the things that you think everyone's thought of that you think are really 
bad, mm. that's when the good ideas start to flow through. It is. And, and that's part of why I was just like, I just need to do this because I know that to begin with it's not going to be fantastic, but I'm going to learn so much through doing it. And like already, like one of my other things that I really wanted to do more of was music. But I was like, oh, I'm not very creative. I just can't write songs. I just like... So I started learning other people's songs, and last year I was able to finally play and sing a song at the same time in around about September, so about a year ago. And then around like a month ago, while I was in the middle of all of this podcasting stuff, I've been making music with my friends. So one of like all of the music that you hear in my podcast is stuff that either we've made together or he's made in the past, which has been really awesome because we can meet up on a weekly basis and just play around. And at some point, all of a sudden, my, my brain just started writing songs for me. Like, I still actually haven't finished a full song, but I've got so many partial songs, and we've got like this idea for you know, a bunch of songs that we will put together eventually. And I was just like, whoa, like, I didn't even know my brain could do this. All of this stuff is happening in my brain thanks to all of these people putting ideas into my head yeah. and just doing stuff, like you said, makes room for more ideas and things happen that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So that's been awesome. Yeah. And so you've set up this uh, this podcast, but it is quite different to a normal podcast in that, as you said, if you're around the ANU, which a lot of our listeners would be being in Canberra, yeah. you can actually go and walk as you listen. Uh, what uh, aspect do you think that gives your podcast? How does it change being in, in certain places as you listen? So the first experience I had doing something like this was when I was in Cambodia and it was a very intense experience because we were in the killing fields and we were hearing the stories of the people who went through that in the location that it happened. And subconsciously I think I remembered that and remembered how powerful it was and I also love processing things outside. I think it's really valuable to be walking around while you're thinking about things. I get a lot of ideas when I'm walking and thinking and talking and listening at the same time. And so I liked the idea of walking around and hearing these stories in the place that they're relevant to. And ANU in particular, I came here two and a half years ago and I was like, there is so much awesome research happening here and this campus is beautiful. How cool would it be to walk around and hear those stories of the campus? And so that was really great when I then had the opportunity to create a project. I'm like, okay, I think that's what I want to do, something like that. I don't know how you do it, but somehow I've done something. But I would love to do more because there are so many stories, and the campus has it's so big <laughs> as well and beautiful. So, yeah. yeah, it's different in that you listen to it in a particular place. So it's got that added dimension of the location that you're in. And so these are the places where people have had the inspiration that they're talking about? Yeah, sometimes. The, yeah. yeah, it's interesting working out how to fit the story to the location. So mm. one of them, you're in the location that a girl walked through when she was going to a job interview on campus, whereas another one, she was not in the like she was not at the campus when this experience happened, but at her university, they also had a stream, and it, this type of experience she had could happen anywhere. Yeah. So it's got that you know some of it's really particular to ANU, but some of it is kind of stuff that could happen anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's really interesting, the, uh, engaging all the senses, I guess, yeah. uh, being a part of a place. You know, I'm, I'm one who listens to podcasts in the car. Yeah, That's good, but uh, it'd, be, yeah, it'd be a very different experience taking it outside um, mm. through that. So who would you say that this podcast is aimed at? Is it just at uh, you know, students at the ANU or, or would it appeal to others as well? For my project, I aimed it at people that work or study at ANU, but at the same time, I think these stories are universal stories. Somebody said to me that, um, it was actually Rod, who's on this radio station, um, <laughs> that the universal story of 
humans is overcoming adversity. And so that's what all of these stories are about. They're all about overcoming adversity. And so anyone can listen to them and relate to them. And you might listen to some and relate to them more than others. So while it is based at ANU, you can listen to it from anywhere in the world. And I hope that people do listen to it and maybe learn something from them. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, we will post the details for the app onto our uh, Fuzzy Logic Facebook page so you can download from there. Uh, but what is the app called? So the app is called Podwalk, and yep. sadly it's only on iTunes. So if you've got an Apple phone, you can download the Podwalk app, look for Podwalks nearby and download the Let's Talk About It one. But if you have got an Android, I've set it up so you can listen to the playlist on SoundCloud while walking around on the map that I've set up as well, so the links of, of those are on my website, so you've got options for both. And if you're in somewhere else in the world, you can listen to it from wherever you want, in your car, <laughs> walking around, doing your gardening, doing your dishes, whatever you want to do. And you might even run into someone else doing the same podcast. Totally, as you. you might. <laughs> <laughs> then you can talk about something you heard. I hope yeah. that that happens. I hope that it can start some conversations, because yeah. all these types of conversations I would have been so scared to have for a long time, and yeah, yeah. I think it's valuable to have them. Definitely, definitely. Just having that conversation. Yeah. As, well, it happened to us this morning when we met up for coffee beforehand. I think I, I said something to you about um, uh, having an opinion and arguing. And I feel, always feel reticent to express my opinion, and mm. you had exactly the same feeling as me. Very much so. And that made me feel so much better. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. That. <laughs> um, so, look, I, I'm converted already. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Talking about things, but I think that's a, that's a wonderful approach to um, to mental health and and you know actually talking about it and sharing with others yeah. is really important. Yeah, I think it is. And recognising that everyone's different. Mm. Everyone can get better, but it's in a different way. And even for myself, what works for me today might not work tomorrow. And it's just being constantly aware of ourselves and how we are and how we could be better. And that it's okay to not be good sometimes, but yeah. you can always get yourself to a better place yeah. through sometimes quite hard work. But That's right. talking about it's great. Yeah, we are complicated machines. Oh, my gosh, so complicated. <laughs> There's so much as part of us. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing that with us, Maddie. As I oh, said, we good. will post the link on our Facebook page um, and uh, people can tune in and have a listen <laughs> themselves and uh, see what they think. Yes, and I'd love to hear from anybody who had any thoughts as well. And if anyone wanted to be involved in any future pod walks, that's another thing I'd love to involve more people in. Awesome. Is there a way they can reach out to you? Yeah, so on the website I've put some contact details and you can message me on Instagram or anywhere. So, yeah, yeah I exist in Canberra, so I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> awesome. And that website is... www.letstalkaboutit.co. Uh, uh, so there's no M because the domain name was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> Letstalkaboutit.co. Awesome. Thanks very much, Maddie. Good. You're listening to Fuzzy Logic on 98.3 FM, 2XX Community Radio. We are your Science in a Sunday, Broderick and Maddie with you in the studio. And uh, I played Get Lucky on purpose there for a reason, because it's time to talk about the Ig Nobel Prize, uh, where they were talking about getting lucky. It's the Ig Nobel Prize for Economics. Uh, and uh, this was based off a couple of researchers from Australia and the USA from their paper, Never Smile at a Crocodile, which, you know, I think is probably, yeah, pushing your luck if you mm. smile at a crocodile. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was about comparing holding crocodiles to betting on the pokies and uh, how different people have their luck or see their luck with that one. And I think it's a wonderful uh, little project um, linking, yeah, holding a saltwater croc and risky gambling behaviour. Mm. Do you place a bet at all, Maddie? Are you a better? I've been to the casino one time. I lost $20 and I didn't go back. 
but I wanted to try it out. I think your experience is uh, is not uh, unique there. I think yeah. a lot of people that's how they yeah. they bet. I'm I'm sort of a couple times a year better. Oh, yeah. um, so one of my bets is coming up. I'd normally put uh, some money on the AFL-NRL oh. grand finals. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think at the moment I've about broken even over the last few yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I'm not a risky better. I don't, yeah. I don't have no, risky behaviour. Um, but, uh, yeah, this study uh, coming out of uh, Central Queensland University uh, was just about how people change their gambling habits. And so they basically used uh, the uh, crocodiles, um, which was actually the uh, sneaky suggestion of one of the researchers' wives, um, to arouse people before they gambled, to arouse their risky emotional state um, uh, you know, arouse them physiologically to get them be, being riskier. And so what they did was they actually uh, used visitors who were heading to uh, Karana Saltwater Crocodile Farm in Queensland and uh, they asked them to gamble money on a simulated poker machine mm. immediately after they held a saltwater crocodile. How big was the crocodile? I guess I guess it's holdable. Yeah, so, so not too big, not, not too enough. giant, but yeah, yeah, enough enough to make you you think. Yeah, um, and and I mean, and salties are generally a bit smaller. Um, oh, now hold on, I'm just trying to think. Am I getting this the right <laughs> way around? Saltwater or freshwater? Which ones are bigger? No, salties are the giant ones, aren't they? I don't know. I'm yeah. just learning about crocodiles in Australia. Yeah, I I, I went up. I should know because I went up to um, uh, Darwin, drove from Adelaide to Darwin yeah. halfway through last year, and. Uh, we saw, we saw both, um, and uh, one of them was quite calm and sitting by the side of the water when we were paddling through Catherine Gorge. Okay. Um, you know, it was a couple metres long, probably one and a half to two, but quite calm and, and nice, and I took a selfie with it um, <laughs> because that's what you do. When you see a crocodile, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the, other, the others I didn't take a selfie with because they were ginormous and <laughs> uh, we were actually on a tour where they were jumping out of the water. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that was... Go near them. No, no. They were... I mean, it, it's, it's sort of... Of a, a, it's not quite a trained behaviour, but this guy um, has the jumping crops, yeah. and they're huge. Yeah. Um, here we are. I've just I, while I've been talking, I've looked up. Freshies yeah. are smaller, okay. so freshwater crocs. So they were holding saltwater crocs, which are oh, the bigger yeah. ones. So they would have had to have been baby salties, yeah. I think. Um, but yeah, the, the, they got visitors to hold the croc, and then made them bet after they uh, held the croc, and they found. Um, they basically wanted to manipulate the emotional state of the person visiting and, you know, th they looked at things like the speed of their bet, so how quickly they were betting, the size of their bet and the final payout at the end. And uh, they found problem gamblers who felt excited about holding the crocodile made much larger bets and felt more lucky, uh, while those who felt negative about the croc handling were more cautious with their gambling. Um, so they've sort of found this uh, connection between emotional states and your actual gambling behaviour. So it's sort of that excitement, if interpreted in a positive way, can cause you to gamble in a more risky fashion. Mm. I mean, it kind of makes sense, really. You know, you're, you're hyping yourself up. Mm, you're gonna, more confident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, put a bit more money out there. Yeah. Um, 
And and I just love the fact that, you know, they wanted to study this. And why did they choose crocodiles? Because they're at Central Queensland University. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, uh, and they were looking around Central Queensland for things that were exciting and thought nice. crocs are a good bet there. That's cool. Yeah, it, it is an interesting thing with that one. You can be very creative with science. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I was also thinking too, like I was at Floriard yesterday. um, And I saw you there by chance. Yes. (laughs) I saw you in the distance. But that's that's where most of Canberra was, I think. It was a nice, lovely day out at Floriard. But uh, they had a few uh, stalls from a Canberra Reptile Centre scattered about Floriard and there were were some crocs and some... uh, some crocs out there, but there are also some snakes. And uh, one of the things that we were doing out there, you know, you know, had the snakes to be padded and that sort of thing, which is some people like it, some people don't. I mm. I, I don't know where you stand on this, Maddie. I don't know if I have a stand yet. I haven't thought too much about this one. Yeah, I, I don't mind padding snakes when yeah. they're being held by someone. But um, I was there with uh, my partner's uh, sister and her kid, who's almost two, and they actually live out on a wheat farm in WA. Mm. So while everyone was there padding the snake, uh, he was a little bit scared of the snakes and we're actually encouraging that because when mm. he sees snakes out on their wheat farm we don't want him going no. anywhere near padding them so yeah, it was sort of that, that different behaviour yeah. that we were trying to trying to set up there yeah. uh, which was yeah. Yeah, a little bit different that is yeah whereas you know if I, I had a city kid I'd probably be encouraging him to pad it you know take the risk see what yeah, happens yeah but because the uh, other one was more likely to experience them in their daily lives you don't want them to think it's a good thing to do yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just like that Peppa Pig episode recently that was um, banned in now banned in Australia. Oh, what what episode? Uh, so it's it's an episode. So Peppa Pig being a UK yeah, show. Yeah, I used to love Peppa Pig a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, no, just one episode is banned. It's the one where Peppa Pig uh, encounters a spider and is told that it's okay, spiders won't hurt you, oh, which yeah. in England is it's reasonably true. fine. Yeah, but in Australia, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and coming from New Zealand, definitely learning that. Yeah. <laughs> yep, need yeah. to know that don't just touch everything in nature. <laughs> no, no, that's right. So, again, that one's been taken off the air. Um, wow. Just for the Aussie kids. Yeah. And it's actually, speaking of Aussie, there's another great Ig Nobel Prize that features yeah. a wonderful uh, Aussie uh, instrument. Yeah. I was going to say Aussie invention. Oh, it is an invention, isn't it? Um, yeah. But uh, a wonderful uh, old Australian instrument, which is the didgeridoo. And uh, this study won the Ig Nobel Peace Prize. Um, And I think peace in this case is meaning, uh, you know, peace and harmony in the home uh, because it was for some researchers uh, from all around the world who demonstrated that the regular playing of a didgeridoo is an effective treatment for sleep apnea and snoring. So fascinating. Yeah, well, I, I can see why it would lead to peace, for sure. Mm. Uh, not yeah, I was thinking about the, the, the peace prize part aspect of it. There's a full peace will for everyone involved. <laughs> That's right. And I, I love this study because it's quite funny because there's no Australians actually involved in the research. Really? Yeah, the, the main, main researcher is... Um, uh, from Switzerland. Wow. Uh, and so in this study, he actually they actually took um, a group of s- people who were snoring, suffering from sleep apnea, and gave them didgeridoo lessons and maintained practice of the instrument for four months. Uh, so I don't know if you know how people play the didgeridoo, uh, but they go through a process of circular breathing, okay. um, which is basically allows them to... Uh, continue to blow out through their mouth while breathing in through the nose 
mm. um, and getting that airway flow happening so they can continue to play for quite a while. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a quite a skill to develop. It, totally, totally. It takes a lot of practice. Um, I, I, I'm slightly embarrassed to admit I had a German exchange student over yeah. in... Uh, I was a, it was when I was in high school and as a souvenir he bought a didgeridoo to go back mm. um, because he travelled uh, through the outback and that was what he wanted so it was great and then when I went and visited him in six months time he'd actually learned to play it and he could do circular breathing wow. and I was, I was so impressed he just had a little booklet that he got from the, uh, the guy he bought yeah. it off and, and taught yeah. himself to, to breathe in that oh. way um, but it totally makes sense for helping people with sleep apnea um, mm. Because uh, sleep apnea is uh, is basically when the walls of the throat come together during sleep, uh, blocking off the upper airway, and so it stops breathing. Um, so yeah, you're just blocking off the airway, and it can it stops breathing for between ten seconds and up to a minute uh, until the brain actually registers the lack of breathing or drop in oxygen level and sends a small wake up call out. And so uh, generally that arouses the sleeper slightly to open up the airway, snort, gasp, and then and drift back to sleep almost immediately. Wow. So it's not a good thing. No. Um, I used to travel quite a lot for work, and one of the people I travelled with uh, was diagnosed as uh, suffering from sleep apnea. And uh, so when... Uh, we uh, ended up staying together in a few cabins, and I don't know if you know, cabins have thin walls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was really worried that my mach his machine was going to keep me awake. Um, and I kept reassuring him I actually couldn't hear the machine. Um, not at all. Like, I was quite surprised. And then one night he... Um, he got home late and uh, decided not to put the machine on and just went straight to bed. And that was the night that he kept me up because his snoring oh was so loud that it was just reverberating through the cabin walls. Wow. So, yes, yeah, so sleep apnea uh, often treated with a machine, which is called a CPAP machine, which keeps a positive pressure going through um, your, your airways to keep them open. It's mm -hmm. like sort of putting a little bit of air through a balloon to keep it inflated. Mm -hmm. um, but they're giant masks that you put on and are really not that uh, that comfortable to sleep in. So, yeah, so this training uh, people to in the circular breathing through the didgeridoo sounds like a great way to sort of get them uh, actively engaging their airways yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and then uh, being able to breathe better. That's so cool. Yeah. And it says here, the didgeridoo instructor reported that he and some of the students experienced reduced daytime sleepiness and snoring after practicing with this instrument for several months. Yeah. It's like the value of learning an instrument that you wouldn't really think of otherwise. That's so cool that they... They studied that. Yeah, well, and it's such a great treatment for it too, because rather than going to to machinery yeah. or um, or drugs or anything like that, they're yeah. just taking a, a step to actually, you know, make changes. Um, and I, develop a skill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember a lot of uh, a couple of friends in primary school ended up taking up swimming because they yeah. had asthma, um, and so that was sort of a great way to to help them improve their breathing mm. was going swimming. And and this is another example it here. Is. And uh, breathing is just a thing that's such a simple aspect of existence that I didn't think about it much growing up. But I had asthma as a child, hmm. and I had a lot of breathing problems. And I often also had like nose nasal issues. I often had blocked nose. Ah, so okay. I, I learned to breathe through my mouth a lot of the time, and eventually, like I think it was last year or the year before, somebody was like the dentist actually, because <laughs> I, I go to the dentist and I I, I realise I've got 
I'm prone to gum issues, which is really frightening because my gums got really sore and bled. And I went to the dentist and they're like, okay, this is interesting. And I went to this really awesome dentist that started asking me about all these things in my life in terms of my work and my history and trying to work out why it was that I was getting these really bad issues with my gums. And one of the things she asked me about was my breathing. And I was like, well, I, I breathe through my mouth a lot. And she's like, that, that's strange. It's like most people don't breathe through their mouth. Um, mm. They breathe through their nose. And I'm like, oh, actually, that's true. And she's like, yeah, most people in their sleep breathe through their mouth. So, so breathe through their nose. And when your mouth is open all night, the environment's different in your yeah. mouth. So there's some thoughts like it's very you know we're at the beginning we haven't done much research into it but potentially because your mouth is open a lot more than everyone else the environment inside your mouth might be causing some some things for yeah. you which is making this stuff happen and i was like oh that's so interesting i hadn't even thought about that <laughs> and as well as um ways that you can breathe differently to make your body in a calmer or a more stressed out state like mm-hmm. breathing into your stomach can make you more calm by activating your diaphragm and stuff and and opposing to that, when you breathe into your chest more, you can be more stressed. And I didn't even know about that until like two years ago. I was like, that would have been really helpful to know as well. Yeah. It's like basic stuff we often don't think about because we do it naturally. It's just something that happens. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, no, I had a similar experience. I'd never thought about my breathing so much until I started learning to scuba dive. Mm. Um, and then not not even so much there that uh, you have to think about your breathing because you're breathing from a tank underwater. But it's more that I um, am a larger person, so naturally when I breathe, I'm going to use up the air in my tank faster than a smaller mm. person. Uh, but I'm also... Uh, not as fit as I should be, and so that means I use up air even faster again. And so one of the things that I try and do when I'm down is uh, concentrate on slowing down my breathing and slowing mm. it down because otherwise I go through my scuba tank far too quickly and I end up having to come up before everyone else because yeah. I've run out of air. Or even worse, when you're with a buddy, I have to bring my buddy up um, yeah. and uh, and so I'm dragging them out of the water, you know, 10, 15 minutes earlier than everyone. It's because oh I gosh. go through my air, so yeah, I've, I'm. Yeah, so I'm sort of trying, trying to concentrate a bit more on my breathing and mm. and how we go about that side of things. Yeah, me yeah. too. And I feel like eventually one day I might be able to learn some more skills that will help me to breathe more effectively. And I look forward to that day. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, look, I think we've got a little bit of time left for a couple more awards in the Ig Nobel Prizes. Um, And uh, there's a huge range of interesting awards out there that we've covered. Um, But let's jump into the Ig Nobel Prize right here for anatomy this year. This was a study done out of the UK. And it was was a question I feel like uh, a lot of... uh, us have asked, especially when we were little children, which is, um, Grandpa, why do you have such big ears? Uh, <laughs> it's a very good question. It is, and look, it's, it's what, what, you know, old, old people, especially old men, I think generally, seem to have big ears and big noses. And, yeah, and, I was going to say the nose as well. Yeah. And the thought is that, you know, they just keep growing as we get older. Um, and so this uh, study actually came from the uh, Royal College of General Practitioners in Kent in uh, in the UK. And they it came out of a meeting that uh, the, the researchers had together, 19 members of the college. Um, and it was actually a meeting that they were trying to encourage uh, 
general practitioners, GPs, to carry out research. Um, so, and, and this is one of the interesting things um, about it is, uh, you know, sometimes these silly little uh, bits of research are actually ways to, you know, encourage more people to look at more research and, mm. and look at uh, what's going on. Um, and so this is what they, they, were, they were doing here. And so they, they were just after something that was a simple question that they could investigate together. And so someone said, well, why do old men have big ears? And some people thought that, you know, this was just true, like it was a pure fact, and other people were like, well, is that actually a fact yeah. that older people... Do men have old Yeah. Oh, old men have big ears. Do men have big ears? <laughs> do men... That's the first question. Do men have ears? Yeah. Um, and as you get older, do yeah. your ears get bigger? Yeah. Um, and so what they actually did is uh, they got four GPs uh, who asked patients attending for routine surgery consult consultations uh, permission to measure the size of their ears and, and explain the idea behind the project. Uh, and uh, the, the, the interesting thing was uh, they had uh, no patients refuse uh, to have their ears measured. In fact, <laughs> many were quite curious yes. as to... Um, Why? as to why, <laughs> and they wanted to know. Um, and so they asked uh, patients aged 30 or over of either gender, um, not just men, um, and also of any racial group, um, whether, uh, whether they could measure their ears. And so they measured uh, all on the left ear from the top to the bottom using a transparent ruler, which I think is an important part yeah, of yeah, this, yeah. Uh, and recorded the, the result uh, together with the patient's age. And when they put that data onto a computer and started to analyse it, they found that um, of the 206 patients that were studied, um, and of age 30 to 93, mm -hmm. um, with the, the mean age around 53 to 75, uh, the, mean, the mean ear length was uh, 675 mil. So now you can all go home and measure your ear and see whether it's... Uh, <laughs> uh, that's right. Uh, and so the range was uh, 520 to 840 millimetres. So what's that? Okay. It's like five to, to eight and a half centimetres. Good range. Yeah, yeah, that's a decent <laughs> range, isn't it? Um, and they found that uh, on average um, that as people got older, their ears would increase in size by about 0.22 millimetre mm. a year. Wow. Yeah. They so actually get bigger. They, uh, well, this is the thing, though, and uh, I think it's a great question to ask. Are the ears getting bigger or... Are big ears a predictor of longer life? True, because they weren't measuring people over time. They were no. measuring a bunch of people, uh, some of whom happened to be older. And this realisation's mm. got me worried, because I feel like I have small ears on my head, and so mm. now I'm quite concerned. Oh, no, that, yeah. Uh, that, that it's a predictor. <laughs> but there's always exceptions. There's no hard and fast rule True. of life, so True. you might be that old man with small ears. <laughs> I hope you are. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> Indeed. Very good so, yeah, so I thought that was a wonderful little study yeah. um, just asking those simple questions yeah. that are actually taking learning the time. how to do research yeah. those guys were building some good skills those GPs indeed indeed <laughs> so there we go so that just about wraps up our Ig Nobel uh, prizes for today okay. and uh, 
sharing some of that interesting science that makes you laugh and also makes you go, hmm, hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. So there you are. Thanks very much for joining us on the show today, Maddie. Oh, good. It's been really fun being here. Yeah, and we'll, we'll share your uh, podcast details up on our Facebook page at the end of the show so people can check it out for themselves and go on a pod walk <laughs> uh, somewhere around the ANU. And uh, Fuzzy Logic, we also have our own podcast too, Fuzzy Logic on 2xx.podbean.com, so you can check it out. But uh, to finish off with today, I thought we'd have a little bit more music, and this is one of your songs, Maddie, that yeah. features quite prominently in the podcast. A little bit, yeah. yeah it's so one that my friend from New Zealand just sent me some music, and I just sang over it, and then that's what happened. It's not a full song, but I'm just, this is part of my learning how to make music process. That's awesome. Well, thanks very <laughs> much for sharing with us, uh, and uh, we'll leave you with this, listeners. Thanks for joining us here on Fuzzy Logic for your science on a Sunday. Just have fun.